Hello and welcome to a, a new Echo series called The Big Interview. I'm Neil Jones and I'm joined by Neil Mellet and we're going to be starting a regular series where we're interviewing Merseyside football figures past and present. Uh, and I'm delighted to say we've got a, a giant, a Merseyside giant today in um, Jan Mulby. I'm just going to read out a few of your, your things, Jan. 292 appearances for Liverpool, 61 goals. Not all of them penalties either. No, definitely not. No. Yeah. Any of them. Yeah, two league titles, two FA Cups and a World Cup, Euro 84. Have I missed anything? No, not really. That's most of the things I achieved while I was at Liverpool, yeah. Yeah, well, fair news. Well, we've got Jan here. We'll be here for the next hour. So uh, we're going we're gonna to go through his career and his best moments and uh, get a few of his memories as well. So... I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this to be honest, Jan. I've been, been looking so forward to this. So am I, Neil. So am I, yeah. Good, as long good as you to ask hear. the right questions, you might get Exit, some good Well, stories. I might just get some good answers, eh? Yeah. But, uh, I think there's so much, isn't there, to talk about as well, and it's where to start. Um, you know, obviously, we all know an awful lot about how it all started for you, but we want to know a little bit more. So, where did it all start from this football dream for you? I think you, didn't you find out where, what village he was from? Yeah, Colding yeah. in Denmark, yeah. Seaport. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, Denmark is obviously surrounded by water, yeah. isn't it? Uh, uh, I think we've got over 500 different islands and most of them are... are, are there's people living on most of them. So, yeah, Denmark is, is surrounded by water. Uh, where did it all come from? It's kind of a, a little bit of a strange uh, history. There's no, there's no history of any sport in the family. Uh, we were basically farmers, you know, the whole... Yeah. Dad was into pigeons, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was flew pigeons. But the whole family is basically going back to being farmers, you know, dairy farmers, and uh, no sport in history. Uh, and I was just football mad as a five, six-year-old kid, and the football club, the local football club, was also the biggest club in Colding, was, was only down the road. And it was only natural progression that sort of six years of age, you just walk down, you become a member. Uh, and away you go, you start playing, you, tra- you, you train twice a week, and uh, you play at weekends, and that's how it all started off. Uh... And the funny thing with, I mean, because Denmark, they, they, they play through the summer. So in the winter, we have other sports. Uh, so whereas football is, is the number one summer sport, we have winter sports who are very popular, which is handball and badminton and whatever. So I went through playing all sorts of sports. But football, and people go, how did I? I got football, you know, from almost the first month of, of being part of a football team. I just got what it was all about. My first two games I played right back. Uh, and then... After a couple of weeks, even though I was only six years of age, I just went, I, I understand this game. I know what this game is all about, you know. So, of course, that makes it a lot easier. Was it people you looked up to at that time? Perhaps no, not really. I was, Anywhere it's else? A, I, I, see, I get the local boys stuff when they want to play for their local club. All I ever wanted to play was for my local club. And my local club, during my years as a kid, was a non-league club played non-league football but that's all I ever wanted to play for so I didn't look up to any of the players I just loved the club and I went if I can achieve anything I want to play for the first team one day and but you always think that's probably not going to happen is it Uh, so there was no real sort of burning ambition to do anything beyond professional football was out of the question because there's only amateur football in Denmark we had less than five players playing around Europe so it wasn't the done thing you know People played part-time football. That's what people did. And if if I, I thought if I can achieve that one day, I'd be quite happy. What were the facilities like then? In facilities terms of where were fantastic. You really, Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I mean, generally Denmark have good facilities wherever sport you participate in, and we had fantastic. We had yeah. fantastic facilities. We had fully qualified coaches, and I have to say, looking back, uh, you know, being taught the game 
I probably couldn't have had a better upbringing. Really? Yeah. So even in what, the, the 70s, early I 70s? Loved, I absolutely loved them. And I think if you look at Denmark's golden period, late 70s to early 90s, uh, Denmark as a small nation shouldn't probably shouldn't be having the amount of success we did. But I think it's it's going back to Denmark probably just being ahead of a lot of other big nations in the 60s and 70s with coaching, with facilities, with the general thought how the game should be played. I think what I picked up on there was you trained twice a week and you had a game. Now yeah. we're, now we're looking at the modern day football and youngsters are training four or five times a week and a game, whereas you were only twice a week in a game and that hunger and enjoyment to play was certainly there. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think even as you, as you progress through the years and... When I was 15, I became a schoolboy international. And then all of a sudden you start to dream. And then at 17, I made my debut for, for Colding. But he was still training twice a week. He was still playing once a weekend. And even during my sort of part-time uh, career at Colding, I was picked for the national team. And I always think that all the things there satisfied, you know, what we needed to do on a Sunday. And we were still fit enough and whatever. So I think sometimes... It can be a little bit overrated how much you need to do. Yeah, and you, I bet you're playing outside of training as well. When you're playing in this, this sort of the, the local, well, sort I, of did I, because I did because I did because I enjoyed football. I've always enjoyed yeah. football, and I was always the one in the street organising the game and that's in, in school breaks and whatever. I just loved the game, you know. Yeah. So you played about forty games, is it around after Yeah, I did. Yeah, and then, and then obviously, you well, know, see, make jobs for the boys. You know, your, your countryman takes you. Seventy-eight. You Ajax. Seventy-eight. Uh, professional football was introduced in Denmark but there was no full-time professional it was part-time but you could pay the, the players a little bit of pocket money uh, and then by the time I made my debut in the first team in 1981 the, the team was in the second division uh, so I played a full season and we got promoted into top flight football in Denmark and that's one of the proudest moments in, in my career yeah, yeah, uh, and how old were you then? I was, I was 80 I turned 18 that summer are you playing in midfield at that point? no I was played sweeper I mainly played sweeper and I would have to say that if, if that would have been my career going into top flight football and then like playing with Colding, I think I could have lived with that. <laughs> I think I could have lived with that. Because that was my Bad, dream. Yeah. But I only managed to play 13 games in the top flight football before they sold me. And it was a, I'm not saying I was disappointed, but Colding couldn't wait to sell me. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know whether that was to get their hands on the money so they could reinvest. I, I don't know. Uh, but, but I got the sense that he couldn't wait to sell me. And I don't know whether he was, a, you know, sometimes clubs also want to sell because there wasn't many Danish clubs at the time selling, you know, and they want to go, well, we got to sell. So they couldn't wait to sell me. They had offers from other clubs, and in the end, I was delighted it was Ajax. Yeah. What was the story behind Ajax, um, and who were the other clubs? Well, Ajax, Ajax, I played... Well, I, I was led to believe that, obviously, there was a lot of interest from Germany, from Holland, and from Belgium. And I also know that Sir Bobby Robson at Ipswich Town had a look at me. I even went to Yugoslavia, uh, Hajduk Split, and spent mm -hmm. a week there training with him in 1981. It was like being amongst 16 Brazilians because the Yugoslavs in those days, they could yeah. play, yeah. Mm. Uh, so I believe the likes of Club Bruges, Circle Bruges, uh, Borussia, uh, uh, sorry, Fortuna Dusseldorf, clubs like that were all looking at me. But I, uh, I came to their attention, I played a game in Copenhagen and somebody watched me uh, and his, his, his son was playing at Ajax and he rung him up and said, listen, you want to have a look at this kid? And then Ajax watched me for 12 months, they came to... Some games I knew they were there, other games I didn't know they were there, but they did their work 12 months and uh, overnight I was out training with Colding on a Tuesday night. I got called in, they said, listen, we sold you. And I expect you to be at training tomorrow morning. That's sort of maybe, is it? Who, yeah, sort of maybe. It was his father who first saw me play. Brown, and the rest is kind of history. Yeah. 
Yeah, went on to be a teammate to use the World Cup as well. So oh, absolutely, I mean, I only played with him one year, Ajax, before he was transferred to Bayern Munich. But uh, no, it always helps. I think. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I was playing second division football in Denmark at the time. I don't know whether it would have been possible for Ajax to have spotted me if it wouldn't have been for. What was the difference in quality of teammates? From well, see, <laughs> to, to Ajax? see, the thing is that I had no idea what it was going to be like because this is my first professional football club. Yeah, mm. so I have no idea. I mean, we're going to train once once a day, at least. But more often, not we train twice a day, and pre-season when I joined, we train three times a day. So instantly, that was such a shock that a, I almost forgot my ability to play. I was that tired, mm. but also I couldn't quite weigh up what this was all about uh, because what we did we, when we played pre-season games, we played a lot of lower league teams in Germany, and we won games twenty-five nil. So we had no idea where yeah. we were at, uh, and it wasn't until we get to the, that famous Ajax tournament uh, where the teams were Cologne. Uh, Ace at Alkmaar and Tottenham and we played Tottenham in the first game and I'd obviously seen Tottenham on TV and obviously our dealers and Glenn Hoddle and you know and you go this is going to be tough in the book I'd have to say that although we were a bunch of kids no we were better Mm -hmm. and then you start to realise maybe this is a little bit exceptional Uh, and it was so you're you're going into the dressing room and you've got we've got the names there we've got Ronald Koeman you've got no Koeman wasn't there Koeman wasn't there when I joined uh, we bought Kuma from Groningen, uh, but, but obviously Frank Reichardt. Frank was yeah. the first where I really went, what is this all about? Yeah. I mean, he's a giant of a man, uh, six foot three, 15 stone, all athlete, yeah. I mean, I always say to people is that if there's one player I played with who could have qualified for the Olympics in 400 metres, 800 metres, 1500 metres, it would have been Frank Reichardt. Mm-hmm. He was an incredible athlete, but he could play. And he... But he also played with it, always played within himself because it was so easy for him. But then you had all these players. Yes, Bolson, when I joined in 1982, was probably the best wide player in Europe. He got injured playing for Denmark against Hungary in the summer of 1983. It was never the same again. But when I joined, unbelievable. Soren Lerby playing at the top of his game. But then you have all the players that people don't remember. Wim Kieft, who won the yeah. Golden Boot, Golden European Boot, yeah, top scorer. Gerald Vandenberg played wide right, was part of that Holland team who won the Euros in 1988. The most technical player I have ever seen. Sometimes you think he's more of a five-a-side player, but unbelievable. And of course, Pete Shriver was the goalkeeper of the 1978 World Cup. And of course, the great man himself, Johan yes. Cruyff. You know. oh, we're going to come on to Johan Cruyff. I'm sure I know you can talk about him for, for ever and a day. Yeah, the impact on, on a what, teenager going to I'm not trying to, country. I'm not trying to be clever, but I generally believe that if you haven't played with one of the all-time greats, then you probably don't know the difference. So I can now reel off at least 10 world-class players I've played with. We have a tendency to call everybody world-class, yeah. but let me reel off at least 10 world-class players, whether that's Kenny Douglas, whether that's John Barnes or Michael Laudrup or Peter Michael or Marco Van Basten. Yeah, these are all world-classes. And then you've got Johan Cruyff. Compared to all these... And he's above them. He's above them. So many things that are different and so many things that are difficult to explain why that is different. But the aura about him, the way that he played, that bit of time, that vision, uh, but also the ability... And Johan Cruyff is probably of all the world-class players and above I've ever played with. He had the best ability to explain in no sort of terms what the game's all about. You know, to narrow it down and go, this really is what the game's about. I remember you, you, you told a story about how he influenced your passion game and told you basically well, you, the misconception is people playing it to the man rather than to the space in front the of game, the game. The game was really the first time I really realised in the way he goes, the game's played in space. You know, he said, and that's, is really where you got 
those players who don't quite get there and then the players who get there and they're the players who either pass into space or the players who invite you to pass into the space isn't it and we, I'm sure we'll discuss Ian Rush later isn't it and his ability to invite you to pass into space he didn't want it into feet and having to deal with the defender he wanted it into space so Cruyff was kind of the first one who goes listen the game's played in space you know that's where we want to play uh, but Ajax is a, is a club although you could understand if when they get all these players together and go, what do we need to work with these for? Because they're so good, but it's a club where you improve. They encourage you to improve. They encourage you to be better. Uh, so we, we after 12 months, uh, Marco Van Basten gets introduced more and more into the first team. He was, he was involved in the first year as a 16, 17-year-old. But then in the second year, he was introduced full-time into the first team. We then sold Wim Keefe, the, the European Golden Boot winner, to, to, to Pisa in, in, in Italy. And then it was Marco's turn. And then we signed Ronald Koeman, who we recognise as being a very good player. And, and then Koeman comes, and then you watch how these players improve. You know, the Koeman free kick is what everybody talks about. Do you think that was a coincidence? Well, not, we, we wanted to ask you about the, uh, the training technique that you know, and the corner flag. The corner flag training technique. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's one thing standing in the middle, isn't it? And pinging balls, isn't it? But it's, it's the ability to do things on the move. And, and, and Cruyff was really the first player I ever saw because a lot of time in, the, in those days, you get the ball, you control, and you pass it, then you move, isn't it? But Cruyff had this ability to do things on the move. So all we did with Cruyff was receiving balls from various angles, but always be on the move. He said, if you can do things on, your, on the move, he said, believe me, it'll improve your game, you know? Mm -hmm. So being able to do things, work things out while you're on the move. So that's what we did. And then your target was always to sort of the corner flags, you know? And he'd always go... I'm not really asking you to hit the corner flag. He said, I'm really asking you just to roll it into yeah. the quad. And you go, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also the ability to, regardless of where you are, never to be off balance. So being able to play with the outside of your right, the outside of your left, with your instep, whatever. Never be off balance. I've seen Johan Cruyff at full blast sprint across the pitch towards the left corner flag. And then halfway through, in a step, flick it with the outside of his left foot over the top into the top corner of the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper didn't move because he's moving as Cruyff is going along and he just flicks it with the outside of his foot over the top of the goalkeeper. That ability when people are not expecting you to do these things. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things he goes, when people think I've got him, he's on the move, he's off balance, little flick, he said, you know. So he'd win these, uh, these corner flag contests then? Well, Cruyff was a gallon second. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about Frank Ronald Koeman, I'm talking about him, the, the great man himself taking part. I'm talking about Soren Labour with his left foot. Okay, he was... He was left footed as you, as left footed as you can be, isn't it? Yeah. But still, you know, a great strike of a ball, isn't it? So it was it was competitive. We had other players who wanted to join in it, but it was it was very enjoyable because you kind of sense that one day, you know, receiving the ball, taking a touch, and then pinging it on, you know, yeah. going with the outside, changing the play. Yeah, just changing it, changing the play, isn't it? You know, I always say to people is that people go great passes yeah I said yeah but great passes are not about 70 yard passes do you think I played 15 20, 20 yard or 70 yard passes in the game of course I never yeah. it's a change of play and they're playing the right passes so you say it was a happy time it was a very competitive time I mean we, we obviously played the league games and in the first year we won the double uh, and we were we'd have won the league the two years I was there if Cruyff wouldn't have left to join final but in the first year we won it with him and the second year they won it with him and Again, it gives you an idea, doesn't it, what Cruyff is all about. Mm. Uh, but it was a happy time. It was a competitive time. But I always felt that there was going to be an, a, a, a sudden end to it all. This is not a football club where you play for 15 years because it's too demanding. You cannot train as hard as we did and, and survive there for 15 years. Well, 
I've got to say, if you look back through the history of the players you mentioned there, the players who've come, who won the European Cup in the 90s, none of them. No. With, with maybe, maybe one or two exceptions. Well, Frank had come back. Frank Reich had come back. And they've always got a tendency to bring back an older player to look after all the, the young players. You know? mm-hmm. But it's, it's not a place where you survive for 15 years. It's too demanding. Uh, so when you think of all young players and the list, yeah, you would think, well, it's a sensible football club. Why would they sell Lerby? Olsen, Rijkaard, Koeman, mm-hmm. Van Baal. Why would they? Because it's what they do, isn't it? So, when you eventually make your move to Liverpool, you're talking about the options that you had to go to Ajax, what other options did you have when, you, when it was time to move on? Well, I limited myself because I wanted to go to England. Uh, I probably wanted to go to England in 1982, but there wasn't anything... And it's all very good saying, you're waiting for the right, but, but there wasn't any offers. There was no, as I said before... I've got an inquiry via somebody else for for for, uh, for Ipswich Town, which, to be fair, at that time would have been great, and it would have put Muir and Tyson and the way they played. But so it was August nineteen eighty four when you arrived. Yes, uh, and it was it was kind of in July when we returned back from pre-season. I was told that you know we're going to move. You've been on. at the Euros that summer. Yeah, I've been at the Euros, which was another great experience. And they told me, and it's, it's it's kind of time we're going to sell you, you know. Mm-hmm. So I went, okay, get me to England, you know. Uh, What's so, that first week like in England, Liverpool? Well. It was weird because I was on trial, you know. Well, that, that, we couldn't believe uh, it. No, neither can A lot of people think it's a, it's a joke when I tell the story, you know. You signed with John Walk and Paul Walsh, were they the three? Well, they, you, they, put up, you were put up with. Yeah, they just signed just before me. Yeah. Uh, and I think Graham Sooners leaving for Italy was a surprise. I think that took Liverpool by surprise. And then they were looking uh, to bring somebody in. And, and, and when they spoke to me, they offered me a trial. And I then spoke to the coach at Ajax, Artemos. I spoke to the manager of Denmark, Sepiontek, and they went, do you really think you need to go on trial? You're playing for Ajax, you're playing for Denmark. I said, mm. yeah. I said, well, if I don't go for trials at Liverpool, I'm going to join Sheffield Wednesday. And they're the European champions as well at the time. Yeah, course, yeah. In fairness. But... I'm, I'm going to go to Sheffield Wednesday. I spoke to Howard Wilkins and I was really impressed. We, we were away somewhere with Ajax and there was a phone call in the room and it was actually Howard explaining, and he's a very, very bright man, explaining how he saw me playing for him at Sheffield Wednesday. He just, just got promoted into to the first division. And, and I thought, yeah, wow, I like this idea, you know. Since I realised that I just about got away with it. <laughs> no, but no disrespect, yeah. Neil, but I would never be yeah. a Howard Wilkinson type player. So Liverpool offered me a trial. Ten days. So I went, OK. Is that an island? You went over to Ireland? Well, tell, train... us, tell us the Grobbelar story. The Grobbelar story, <laughs> yeah. To... Did he take you out for a pint? He took me out for a pint on a Sunday night. To you... Liverpool. Took me out for the pint in Liverpool, yeah, on a Sunday night. I played two years in Ajax, yeah. I don't think we went for the pint three times. We didn't. You know, people go, what was it like at Ajax? I said, believe me. Yeah. I said, all we did was train. Mm, and, if sleep, they, yeah. and if they found out, you, no way, man. We never went out. So Sunday night, Bruce took me for, to, for the pint in, in a place called Street, you know. And that was the first thing I ever met the Scousers, you know. And this fella comes up to me. And <laughs> he's kind of going, who are you, you know. And I said, oh, don't worry about it. I said, I'm just from Denmark. And then he goes, oh. I've read in the Echo, Liverpool got a, one of them Denmark footballers on trial. Do you know who he is? And I said, no, no. I said, oh, he said, never mind. He said, because I've heard he's bloody, bloody rubbish anyway. You know, it's like, <laughs> what a start that is. <laughs> but the, the first week was just training at Melbourne. It's pre-season. And I couldn't believe how easy it was. You know, the training every day, warm up five aside, and no real, you know, push yourself and whatever. You just play. And then I went to Wembley with the charity shield against Everton. And then straight from the charity shield, we went to the airport to fly to Dublin. When we got to the airport, it's very difficult to feel part of it when you're on trial and you haven't been signed. So I was just walking around the airport on my own and then the next thing I can hear is shouts and it's all the lads 
and they're in a in a bar on the top floor. <laughs> so she said, "Come on up, come on, have a drink." You know. So I've gone up, and I'm yeah. thinking, Monday, I've got to play. This is my big chance. This is my really my only chance, isn't it? Mm. Because there's no way they're going to judge me on the, the little bit of training we've done. You know. So this is my big chance. So we, I go upstairs, and there's like thirty pints of Guinness on the bar, and I went, "What's that?" And he went, Guinness. I said, why are we drinking? I said, because we're going to Ireland. It's what you drink in Ireland. You know? And I never... That makes sense. On my kids' lives, I put a Guinness to my mouth and I've never touched it since. You know where you go, wow, that is horrible. It's not for me either, Guinness. Not for me. Not, not, not for me. So we went anyway, we went to, to, uh, went to Dublin, home farm. Uh, we beat them 3-0. Ronnie Whelan scored twice and I scored. Then there was a bit of a testimonial after the game for Phil Neal in a hotel in, in Ireland and uh, flying back Tuesday. So I said to... Ronnie Moran, I said, we land at Manchester Airport Tuesday. I said, I might as well go back to Amsterdam, you know. Uh, and he went, no, he said, uh, you need to go and see Peter Robinson. That you... So what your contract was? He didn't say that, he just said, you need to go and see Peter. And he, I go, Peter? And he went, Peter Robinson's the guy who deals with everything. So I went, okay, yeah. So I went to see him and, and he just went, listen, you said, we've decided that it's worth a gamble. We're going to offer you a three-year contract. We've agreed a fee with Ajax, uh, which was set anyway, because when, when they tried to sell me, uh, and uh, he kind of went, this is the contract. This is what we think you should be earning because you fall into the category of being a young player. We are an international, so this is what you should be earning. He said, but believe me, he said, we're a very fair club. He said, and if, if you progress like we would hope, which is how you get in the first team and do well, he said, we'll, we'll improve your contract. Amazing, isn't it? Just hearing that sort of story compared to now with I know. The, the hangers how on the age. How many people would you have gone in with? All the agents involved and, and the money, the negotiations. I'm not having a go. Do you want to sign this or not? No, it's not good enough. Whereas you're just like, happy days. Not I'm not having a go at anyone, yeah. But how well you get paid today is not always according to your talent, is it? No. It's according to how well your agent negotiates. Yeah. And I think in a way that's sad, isn't it? So right away through my career, and I mean right away through my career, I never asked for a rise the club always called me in. So the first time they called me in was after 18 months to renew my contract. Clubs will be fair, but because of the agents involved. I think the club was fair. I think the, when the club called me in after 18 months, uh, and I appreciate that they don't call you in after you've had a good game. They call you in after you've had a good period. And they go, we're now sure. Mm -hmm. So they went, listen, in accordance to you're now established. So this is what you need to pay. Uh, we need to pay. He said, you're not a job owner. He said, but this is what you need to pay. Mm. If you go back to when you signed, how much have you played in midfield for Ajax? Because with yours, sort of, because of the way the, the years overlap, you're yeah. seen as the Graham Sooners replacement. Yeah. But we, were you thinking that? Or were you thinking I'm going there to play as a sweeper? Or no, no. I knew I was going to play in midfield. I'll just tell you a quick story. When I came to the hotel in Liverpool to join Liverpool on trial, there was another Danish player in the reception. Jan Sonnensen, his name was. He played against Liverpool in 78 oh, Bruges. for Bruges. And he's since became the manager of Walsall. And I went, what are you doing here, Jan? He said, I've just been on trial at Liverpool for two weeks. So instantly I panicked. Because I thought, if there's that type they're looking for, I can't do that. He was a John Robertson, you know, played for yeah. Forest. He was a slow winger, yeah. putting crosses. I went, if that's what they're looking for. He had, the, he had one cleared off the line. In the yeah, final that's level, right. Yeah. So I went, if that's what they're looking for, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> right. He was in big trouble because they weren't looking for him. They were more looking for what I, you know. But there was never any question of me playing anywhere other than in midfield for Liverpool. And it wasn't actually to the second last game of the season, in my first season, when we played down at West Ham, that I played centre-half. Uh, Mark Lonson dislocated his, his shoulder and, he, and, and Joe just went, you go and play uh, centre-half, big fella. So, so do you feel, did you feel at any point pressure of being, being no, because following I the captain's footsteps type of thing? 
I obviously got the Liverpool thing because every summer I used to watch the European Cup final and, and more often than not Liverpool were in it and I got but I didn't I wasn't into the history of Liverpool and Sooners and wherever you know I understand the people goes but it, that didn't bother me and I didn't even realise that I was a different type of player to what Sooners was and nobody at the club and I'm talking about the manager and the coach and stuff, never even made an issue out of that I think Joe was a bit disappointed that I wasn't more like Sooners before you carry on about Sooners, I wanted to ask you about when you first arrived to Liverpool, the dif- the difference in the accent, because <laughs> obviously it's well known that you're an adopted scouser now. Who who helped you learn the the accent? Well, we we obviously used to get chains in in the Anfield dressing room every day, and uh, as you come in the dressing room, there's sort of to the left where there's a lot more room, mm-hmm. and then there's to the right, isn't it? And I used to sit to the right with the likes of Bruce Grobelar, Phil Neal, uh, but Sammy Sammy Lee used to be on my right. And Sammy's a very sociable guy. I mean, the first time I ever went uh, out for a drink in Liverpool was to Sammy's restaurant. Sammy used to have a little wine bar. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't say we were close friends, but I used to sit next to him. And Sammy, I think, felt the need to take a bit of an interest. You know, So I spent many hours just talking to Sammy. You know, Sammy was also one of these players who... Because we used to spend a lot of time in, in public with fans and whatever, and he goes... Just learn the songs, lad, you know, learn the songs, you won't do any harm, you know. So six weeks in, I'm singing Scouser Tommy, you know what I mean? People are, where do you know that song from? I said, never mind. Yeah, yeah. So. so Sammy, I think, but also spending time, because I lived in the hotel for a while, you know, and obviously all local staff, you know, all talking Scouse, which to be fair, was foreign to me, you know. <laughs> Believe me, there were so many words I didn't get fed up, I used, you yeah. know. What does fed up mean? Paul Walter's girlfriend used to say, you look fed up, and I'm going... What does fed up mean? <laughs> did, did you notice when you had you you had a little bit of scouse about yourself, or did no. someone just when you go back to Denmark, maybe no. someone say you sound <laughs> TV program grandstand mm. playing Manchester United, and they did a piece with Yes Bolton and me, and Yes spoke first in the interview, you know, and uh, he just spoke like you'd expect, yeah, some Scandinavian who'd been here for three months, you know, and then I came and I went, wow, how's this happen, you know, and all, even all the lads looked at me and went. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I went on. Oh, yeah, what's that all about? And of course, it only got worse, you know, for being in the city every day. Yeah. So that first couple of seasons, obviously, the first season was a bit of a difficult one, I imagine, for the for the team. Yeah. They didn't win anything. Obviously, what happened at the end of that? We season? were very. I mean, we were very close when we lost in the FA Cup semi final replay, finished second in the league, and and obviously losing in the European Cup final. Uh, but I have to say, from from a personal point of view, it was disappointing. Although I was, you know. The fans would look at him, the coach would have go, well, he's only a young player and he's just come in. But you think different yourself, don't you? I was a full international. I wanted to play. And we just qualified in that year, 85. We qualified for the World Cup, you know. There's only one, one way I'm going to the World Cup. That's if I play for Liverpool, you know. So it is kind of a gun to your head, you know. What, what do you do here? You know? It's quite not that well known, is it? But Denmark, that, that great Denmark side almost nearly didn't qualify for that World Cup. They, they sort of had to yeah, big I mean, win. They win yeah. last, last game of the yeah, uh, qualifying I mean, campaign. It was, it was, to be fair, we, we, I felt we were in a tough group, you know, with, with Norway and, and Republic of Ireland and and, uh, and the uh, Soviet Union. You know, there were some really good teams in it. Uh, but once once we got there, I think I think that chance to showcase what we had just kind of grabbed all... We had so many great players who just went, I'm going to have a bit of this, you know. I can, we'll go into Denmark a little bit more yeah. in a bit, but talking about the fans there, settling into Liverpool, picking up the accent, what was your relationship like with, with the cop? I think the cop, 
I think two things I think generally the cop was unsure. Uh, I think they could see that I could play. But I, I think a lot of them thought maybe the, the physical elements of the British game is not for him. Uh, but I sensed that they wanted me to succeed. I think that there's always that feeling from the cop, isn't it? But of course, you sort of need to, to announce yourself, don't you? And it was, you know, played a lot of games before Christmas and then hardly any after Christmas, a bit in and out, isn't it? Playing in the reserves, which to be fair, I enjoyed, didn't do me any harm. And that was really, really competitive so as well. Was a good side then, yeah, no, absolutely. And it was competitive. You know, so I enjoyed that. But the funny thing is that, you know, once you, you go yourself, and the one thing about coming to England was getting the pace of the game. You know that moment where you go, I'm here now. When I receive the ball, although people are closing you down and tackling you, whatever, you still, I've got time. I'm finding time. I'm finding time to do my bit, isn't it? And that was in the, the second half of that season playing in reserves. And Joe still wouldn't put me in, you know. I was substituting in a number of first-team games uh, on the bench in European games, but Joe wouldn't put me in. And I played the last two games of the season, West Ham and, and Everton, which were two dead rubbers, you know, just finishing the season, isn't it? And then, of course, the close season comes. Kenny then takes over. And uh, all these things you don't know till after. Before I joined Liverpool, Crystal Palace tried to sign me, and that was Alan Murray. I didn't know that Alan Murray, one of his mates, was friends with the coach that I had in Denmark. So when Ajax announced they were going to let me go, he rung him and said, if you can, you want to get Jan. Mm. Billy McNeil of Manchester City tried to sign me twice in 84 and 85, and it wasn't until late I realised that he was the manager of Celtic when we played Celtic in the European Cup in 1982 with Ajax. So he'd obviously remembered me. So, you know, you go and kind of go... There's always a story, isn't it? Uh, so when Kenny came, City were interested again. And he goes, listen, he said, I'm going to play you. He said, but it's up to you then, isn't it? You know? yeah. but, but that relationship with the cop, I think it, you, you're saying to announce yourself, was it that moment you scored your first goal, do you think, at the cop? Yeah, I think it was that United game. Uh, United got to fly in the league and it wasn't a league game, it was a league cup game, but still you're playing Manchester United, aren't you? And, uh, you know, Gary Bailey and Kevin Moran and, Brian Robson, Paul McGrath, and Whiteside, and Strachan. It's still, you know. And uh, we, we were in many ways a, a new team. You know, new fullbacks, mm-hmm. Nickel and Beglin. New midfield partnership with McMahon and myself. Paul Walsh were playing a lot of games up front instead of Kenny himself. Craig Johnson had took over from, from, from Sammy on the right. So in many ways it was a new team and we were stuttering a little bit. I think we were only stuttering because United got off to such a fantastic start, you know. But, and I think the team also needed that. You know, just to convince the fans that we'll be okay. You know, so so I think that that night, United on it. Some goal. Yeah, it was some goal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to CCTV, isn't it? Picked it up in your own half. The thing, the thing with it, Neil, is that as a player, you know, people people go for weeks after they go, "What a great goal!" And you go, "Yeah, but I'm going to better that, aren't you?" Because that's how you think, isn't mm. it? You never ever think that this will be the pinnacle of anything you do. Is so you go, "Yeah, but I'm going to better that," isn't it? So it later turned out that that was never the case. Uh, but, but, but yeah, no, that I think no, that, that Norwich one, Norwich yeah, one, no, I know, but it was well. a different one, wasn't it? Because I always believed that when a ball comes rolling to you and you strike it from 30 yards, most players once or twice during the career will will yeah. get it right, won't yeah, they? One. Yeah, I think the United goal had a little bit more difficulties, isn't it? That you had to do various things, and again, this thing on the move, isn't it? You know, yeah. so uh, when did the, uh, the penalties come into Spurs? Spurs, I don't you'd miss one, and then no, um, no, well. It was a strange one uh, because it obviously played a big part because I remember the follow the first year we played against Vienna in the quarter, I think it's quarter final European 
cup and, and we got a penalty and we were winning 3-1 at home I think or 4-1 mm-hmm. and Paul Walter scored twice and he took the penalty for his hat-trick and they went ballistic they said listen we've got a penalty take it that's Phil Neal he takes the penalties those following season starts we're down at Aston Villa last kick of the game we're drawing 2-2 we get a penalty and Rushy takes it and misses again although Phil Neal is the penalty taker and then I was away playing for Denmark when Liverpool played Stockport in the, in the League Cup and Phil missed so when we play Spurs at home I overheard him say he's running around if we get a penalty today I think I'll leave it because his big mate was in goal wasn't he Ray Clem and I was right behind I went I've took penalties so Ronnie went okay get one you take it so we got two <laughs> got two in the Anfield Road in. and even Ray Clemens if you can find a clip somewhere he goes after the game he goes I couldn't believe it he said Liverpool get a penalty I'm looking forward to my great mate Phil Neal he said yeah well, we stepped up he didn't even know who he was you know? <laughs> so I, I took them two penalties and scored both and uh, that, that must help acceptance as well with fans. Well, I was they, say, they see you stepping up and taking. Yeah, but also, yeah, because I, I pretty quickly that season became the penalty taker and the free kick taker. You know, so I think then fans also realised that you're then establishing the team, aren't you? It wasn't a case of playing a few games and being out. I was in the team, you know. Yeah, um, you mentioned Steve McMahon there, and you talked about the um, the sort of physical element of it. Do you think he helped you having, having someone like that who certainly had that about them? I know he's a great player, but he, he was, was a great he, player. Steve McMahon generally, well. generally is underrated, underrated. I have to yeah. say that. Uh, when when Kenny Kenny only pulled me. Kenny didn't have a tendency to talk to you if it wasn't necessary, but he only pulled me because the stories wouldn't go away in the paper that we were signing Steve McMahon to replace Jan Mulvey. And that was when Kenny went. He said, "If I was you, I wouldn't believe what's in the papers." He said, "We are if we can sign Steve McMahon." He said, "But it won't affect you." Uh, and then when Steve McMahon came, I kind of looked at him and I went, ah, I remember playing against you early in the season we played Aston Villa, you know. I remember playing against you, but didn't quite have a hold on what his qualities were, but it was pretty evident quickly what he was all about, you know. So yeah, he he, did, he definitely helped my game. Yeah, and of course, the end of that season, so you've got the, perhaps, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth a little bit, but your greatest game for Liverpool, maybe your, your performance for Liverpool. Well, it's, I mean, obviously the bigger the game, uh, the more people who, t- who tend to watch it or remember it. Uh, and it, it was one of my dreams. Uh, one of those dreams you never think you're going to achieve, but to play a Wembley in a cup final. Uh, so 86, on so many fronts, was everything I could have hoped for. Yeah, and then finished it with the World Cup. So <laughs> it's not, not, the, not, a bad, uh, not a bad summer. No, uh, I went... Or the plan was that I was going to go to the World Cup as a as a, as a, as a starting eleven, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the Danish team had been together for a week longer because I, I turned up late because of the FA Cup final and long hard season. To be fair, I don't like to make excuses in it, but I kind of managed to play myself out to starting eleven in in the training in Denmark in the week before we went, and then the altitude when we went we went to Colombia. For ten days, I couldn't breathe. You know, yeah. and I kind of played myself out of the starting eleven. What was the difference between '86 <coughs> at Mexico compared to '84 France the Euros? Because obviously you're 20, the Euros 22, but now you're a Liverpool player. Yeah, and I think that was the difference. Uh, I wasn't, and I didn't have a problem with it in 1984. Uh, you know, we had a really established side, and I didn't play a single minute in '84, but I didn't have a problem with that. Uh, as a young, but you were still part of that. I was group. part, very much part of it. Yeah, and I, I knew that I was going to be part of it for many years to come. That wasn't a problem, and I understood as a twenty-year-old, no right to play. Uh, but eighty-six, I was a bit more disappointed because mm-hmm. what later turned out, I'd, I'd had my best season ever, and you know, as a twenty-two-year-old, to be a key player at Liverpool. So I was disappointed because I knew that I was good enough to get into that team. Uh, but 
as I said before, that he didn't quite. But it, again, it was a bit like when I joined Liverpool during the World Cup. I, you know, where you go, I'm here now. I can breathe. I'm, I'm all right. You know, I mean, by that time the team had settled. And, you know, so that was a bit disappointing. I only started one game against West Germany, which we won 2 0. Not in my preferred position. I played sort of wide, right. You know, I mean, looked after the guy. I don't know if you remember Hans Peter Briegel who officially is the biggest guy who's ever played football in his life. <laughs> so, but, but it was a fantastic experience. Were yeah. you disappointed, though, with how the country did Denmark? Because in the 84 semi-final, lose on pens to Spain, but you're only knocked out the second we had no, in the World Cup. We had no expectations, uh, for, for, for the sheer reasons that we thought the World Cup has to be different to, to the European Championships, and there will be a lot more quality involved. Uh, but of course, when we won our three group games, uh, and actually for the short spell became favourites to win the World Cup, yeah, we were disappointed. Put six past the Uruguay in, yeah. in the last group game. Yeah, but I think the second last group game. Yeah. But I think, I mean, we beat Scotland one 0 but Scotland were a good team, you know. We we were really strong. That, that World Cup, I I actually think it's it's one of the strongest. Yeah, I think because a lot of, if you if you look at a lot of teams had gold in it, like yeah, yeah, Belgium, Soviet Union, Soviet Union, Union was very good. There, yeah, even Scotland, Scotland, you know, of course, West Germany, of course, were always there. Uruguay were the South American champions. Yeah, you know, Brazil, France were a super team with, yeah. with those midfield players. So it was a great World Cup. Uh, but no, we we did underachieve, and I keep coming back to a small country like Denmark. But you might qualify for World Cup, but you don't go to every World Cup with a chance. But we had a chance in '86. Mm. Danish dynamite. Danish, Danish dynamite. dynamite. Yeah. Horrendous kit, you know. <laughs> but, but yeah, but it's become cult, hasn't it? Yeah. Horrendous kit. No, definitely. Um, what had happened then by the time '92 came around? Because that Nothing. wasn't that wasn't well, a, a fated side in terms of no. In terms of the players, no. I know we had a couple of good ones, but. We changed, we changed the coach. Uh, we had a German coach called Sepp Jontek and then his assistant, Richard Muller-Nielsen, became the, the coach. Uh, we played a qualifying in Copenhagen in 1990 against Yugoslavia. We lost 2-0. I think it was our first defeat in Copenhagen for nine years. And after the game, he made a statement and he went, listen, he said, we've got too many attacking players. Michael Lauder, Brian Lauder, Fleming Poulsen, who played for Real Madrid, mm. me and whatever. And he went, I can't play them all. Uh, Michael didn't like it. So... Uh, he retired from international football. Yeah. Brian also went, I'm not going to play for a little while. I never said anything. I was obviously disappointed, but he never picked me again. After the year, Brian returned to Danish football, but Michael didn't. We didn't qualify for the European Championships in 1992, uh, but got into the, the back door because of civil war in Yugoslavia. Uh, and then, lo and behold, he went on and win it without <laughs> Michael Lard and without Jan Molde. Cheeky. I, 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 say, I don't. I don't imagine you sitting at home fuming at that. No, but, but honestly, God, a little bit of you thinking. No, I was in Denmark during that summer. I was getting. I got married in Denmark that summer, and it was just incredible. We start the tournament by drawing nil nil with England, yeah. and we lose one nil to Sweden. You're out, then, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, time to go. But we beat France three two, and somehow we qualify in the semis. But we've got to play Holland. Got to play all my mates. Yeah. Frank, Ronald, Marco. He misses the crucial pen, doesn't yeah. he, Marco? Yeah, well, to be fair, it was Michael against Holland, yeah? Saved everything, but we still scored two, we draw two. The more we got to the penalty shootout, I went, there is no way Denmark was Michael and goals going to lose this. And then when we got to the final, all these players, maybe apart from the genuine Michael and Brian Loud and whatever, all the other players were at the peak of anything they've ever achieved. Yeah. They played as well as they've ever done. The best fortnight of their lives, and they were now peaking. So when we got to West Germany in the final, there was no way we weren't going to beat them. We were always going to beat them. That was the perfect game, and of course we did. 
And your replacement scored on the first goal, would you say? John, John Jensen. Yeah. Prolific. Yeah. Prolific John And then Jensen. he had the cheek to come over to England and see if he could do what I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Didn't quite, didn't quite uh, work. Well, it took him 99 well, games to score for Arsenal, yeah, didn't it? Oh, great, great. And it was just fantastic. You can, you can imagine, you know, you see what in excitement international football causes here when, uh, when, Eng when England do well, isn't it? So you can imagine then the ferry coming back from Sweden because before the Brits and people used to sail back as the 25,000 Danish fans sailing into Copenhagen <laughs> after we won the European Championship. Quite, uh, quite an image. Yeah, yeah. No, I was absolutely fantastic. Well, I was, I was surprised looking at your international record that you didn't score more goals. Two goals, two, goals. two free kicks. Yeah. So you don't, you're not bullying away onto penalties? No, the manager, yeah. But the manager had this idea that I was a, you know, a proper number six. We, uh, because we had so many great players, our system was a little bit lopsided. Sometimes we play without a right back, sometimes we play without a left back. But we just believed in our own ability. And he always had this idea that I was a, a like you have a number six today, yeah? Proper number six. Uh, and I wasn't, Javi Alonso sort yeah, of player. Yeah, but obviously, but he, he, he sort of wanted me to, 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 to follow the, the Leibis and the Frank Arnes and the Michael Lauder and look after them, whatever. I wanted to play as well, you know. So I, he never got me the manager. Uh, so when I played, if I didn't play in a number six role, I, I, could, I mean, my last game as Yugoslavia, I, I man-marked one of their players, you know. I mean, what was that all about? What type of player now do you think you'd have been then in terms of, if you'd have been playing in, a, in this era, this Premier League, would you be a six maybe or, a, or someone who'd play See, my best, my, be, my best football at Liverpool was as a number 10. Yeah. Uh, you know, playing further forward. Uh, but no, if I had a place there, I'd have been number six. Yeah. Absolutely no doubt about that. Playmaking. Yeah, absolutely no doubt. Uh, well, brings us nicely on to Pep Guardiola. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a bit of a leap here and claim that you could have changed Pep Guardiola's faith if you'd, well, maybe so. if you'd have gone you to Barcelona in 1990. You don't, 1990, yeah. yeah no, it, was a, it was November 1990. Uh, we got off to a flyer with Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, I was in the team, uh, complete out of the blue. I speak to the assistant manager at Barcelona, Tony Brown Slot, which I know from my time at Ajax. And uh, I had to be honest, I said, Tony, I didn't even realise you were at Barcelona. He said, yeah, yeah, Cruyff took me when he, when he took the job in 89. He said, we got a problem. He said, Koeman got injured last night, uh, ruptured his Achilles tendon. He's going to be out in those days, out for 10 months. He said, so we need a replacement. And Cruyff said, who have we got, Tony? What, what's, who can we, you know? And he wrote a little list with my name on it. And Cruyff, and... Yeah. Do you know what amazes me most? I know I played with Cruyff for 12 months, but it was just a sheer fact that he remembered me, you know? Yeah? Yeah, Cruyff and he'll do. Hence the phone call from Tony. And so you, you could have been part of the dream team at Wembley, 92? Yeah, but there was a lot more to that dream team, wasn't there? There was four Spanish championships and there was two... Uh, yeah, Spanish um, Cups. Spanish Cup and, of course, that game at, at, at Wembley in 1992. Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of... In terms of the way it sort of changed at Liverpool then, I mean, it's easy to sort of point to Kenny going and then obviously Sunes coming in. Is it that simple or was there sort of, was there more at stake and more at play in terms of that, that break-up of the, of the atheist side, if you like? I mean, I think generally people are very quick to, to criticise Graham Sunes, but, but possibly Sunes haven't had experiences away from, from Liverpool with uh, first in Italy and then with, with Rangers as a, yeah. as a manager, maybe realised that around Liverpool, the game is generally changing. So, so he came and wanted to do different things, which I don't have a problem with. And, and also, if you look back at history, football at that time was changing, wasn't it? Mm. You know, the Premier League got into, or the Premiership, it was called those days, got introduced. And 
then the next thing you people like Arsene Wenger coming in with different training methods and different ways of playing and whatever. So maybe Sunes was onto something. Uh, but the one thing you can't excuse is that he still inherited Bruce Grobelar, Steve Nicker, Ronnie Whelan, Gallagher, Esper, Peter Beersy, John Barnes, Ian Russ. Well, I mean, there were still a lot of players, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and m- maybe he should have gone, okay, until we have the replacements, yeah. let's go with these guys, yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not convinced we could have won the league every year, but I don't think we'd have ever finished outside the top two. I think we had too much for that. So maybe he could have gone, okay, we'll go with these guys and then do what Liverpool always done, one by one. Yeah, we'll change them. Phased multi type of thing. Yeah, exactly. But but he was obviously in a, he was in a rush, wasn't he? he? Wants to do things on his own. I don't have a problem with that. When that time came to leave, how tough was that? It wasn't actually, because the one thing I wanted to do, I didn't do, and that was play. You know, so. Going on loan twice that season, first to Barnsley, I have to be honest, I didn't want to go to Barnsley on loan, no disrespect to Barnsley, but I wanted to stay at Liverpool, and you, you, you just don't realise, but I went to Barnsley for the month and really enjoyed it, and then the second time, it was a bit of me, I went to Roy and I went, listen, get me some games, you know, so I went to Norwich, uh, and, and then when I came back, I made my mind up, I didn't, I didn't make my mind up when I went to Barnsley, when I came back from Norwich, I made my mind up, time to go. He must have had some options. But at the time I didn't because I don't think anyone knew I was available. So I spoke to Barry Fry at Birmingham City. He had 52 pros at the time. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> just where you need is 53, yeah. <laughs> and he went, uh, I've, you know, I've heard of blah, blah, and whatever he said. And uh, how much do you earn? And I went, this is what I earn. He went, okay, he said, we can't pay that, so just put the phone down. I spoke to Ron Atkinson at Coventry City, uh, Premier League, and that would have probably been the one. Three-year contract with Coventry yeah, City. You and Gordon Strachan then? Probably, yeah. yeah, and it was a bit of a... Gordon Strachan was the assistant. I'm mm. not sure how we'd have got on, me and Gordon. But also it was a bit... And this never works. Big Ron going, yeah, and he said, you know, we'll live on the world. He said, come down training a couple of weeks, a couple of times a week, sit in midfield, and I'm thinking... That only works if you play for the best teams and you win every week. Yeah. I said, but the moment we don't win three games or whatever, everything gets... So that would never work. Uh, and then, of course, I got the phone call from Swansea City, player-manager. Never thought, but as a player, Neil, and you'll know this, any interest you get gets you excited in a way, mm. doesn't it? Even if you're at Liverpool and then all of a sudden somebody else wants to sign, you still get excited, don't you? Yeah, it's nice to feel wanted. Exactly, and it was the same thing. I'm 32 years of age, but now somebody wants me to be their manager. And I felt I'd done top flight football. Two years at Ajax, 12 years at Liverpool, I'd, I'd done that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I went, yeah, I'll do that, you know. But they were what, in the bottom tier? No, they weren't, they were the, but they were bottom of the third tier. Okay. With no chance with 15 games to go of staying up. So they said to you, come in. Come in. With a view to... Take us down, up. which is no, yeah. it was yeah. 15 points from saying. Take us down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> come in, <laughs> yeah, do us a favour. Take us down, yeah. <laughs> and then take us back up. So, uh, almost did. Took them down. Almost took them back up, but we lost in the playoff. Uh, Final at Wembley against Northampton uh, in the summer. The club got sold. What was that like for you then? You've had you just said two years at Ajax, twelve at Liverpool, playing with, for the most part, the best players around yeah. or, or you know top level players. To go from there to being, you were probably the best player in training every day if you wanted to be. What was that like in terms of that transition? See, it's you? all very good being uh, the best player. The problem was that that wasn't so evident in matches because of the way that the game was played. So my biggest battle, and when I took over, we were in a relegation battle that we were going to lose anyway, but 
we battled on and we just played third division football. Yeah. Yeah. So what Front I did to back. So what I did, I put myself centre half and we just played like that. And then when we got relegated and I had a summer, that's when I reshaped the team. A lot of young players, mm-hmm. a lot of energy. And then the final bit was I sold our playmaker to Birmingham City to Barry Fry because Barry Fry needed players. Who was that player? <laughs> John Cornforth. Okay. Uh, and he was like, you know, Swansea fans used Legends to love. Yeah, yeah, and the chairman goes, we'll miss him. I said, we will and we won't. I said, because we've got a ready-made uh, replacement. And he went, who? I said, I'm going to play in midfield. Oh, okay. So I have to be honest, but this is the benefit of being a manager, isn't it? You can shape the team to suit you. And I do think that once we got that going, that worked well, you know. Did uh, you enjoy the managing part? No. 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 I enjoyed the coaching and working with the players, and but all the other bits. You you ask me if I want to be a manager, I want to be a coach. Mm-hmm. I'd be a coach all day long. Yeah. And I mean, not seconding. I like to be in, in charge of the football side, but all the other bits, I just didn't get. I'm not a demanding manager in terms of money or wanting to sign players on loan and wanting to change things all the time. Give me my budget, I'll sign the players and leave me with it. And you can look at my managerial career. Wherever I've been, it takes time. Yeah, mm-hmm. second season of Swansea when we got relegated, fifteen games, fourteen points, second for bottom. Kidderminster when I went to Kidderminster, six games, three points, bottom of the league. Same when I went to Hull, but I never got a chance to turn things around. So it takes time, but if you, if I if you let me get over fifteen games, mm-hmm. I believe things will be okay. How difficult was it going from being here settled in Liverpool to all the way to Swansea? Because we've all been down yeah. there. I know it's yeah. an absolute mission. Down I know there. it is, <laughs> and you know you go, and it was quick decision with with my wife. The kids are at school and you stay here and I'll come and see you. You know. And Brecon Beacons then, yeah. That's all very good, there. isn't it? Because you're working all week. Mm. And this is in the days where the managers, every minute you had free, you went scouting. I never knew why we went scouting, we just went scouting. You know. <laughs> We'd go and watch Ebervale play. I said, what are we playing watching Ebervale for? Just in case. You know. So that's how you spend so many hours wasted just in case. But that's what it was like in those <clears throat> but apart from that, I also played. Trained every day and I played the games, you know. So come Saturday night, it was a long way to the will. You know? yeah. So have you had, you said you'd, you'd, you'd go into coaching rather than management, have you had coaching opportunities since, no. since the last time? No. Kidderminster? and I, I fully understand. Yes, I have had opportunities to be a manager yeah. since I left uh, Kidderminster in 2004. But in the last 10 years, nothing. And I, I fully understand that you're in a period now where you can't afford to be out of football for five minutes mm, because yeah. things change so quick. So I don't have a, aspirations on it or or I'm disappointed that people don't ring anymore because people think, yeah, I'm over. yeah well, he hasn't been in football yeah. for 12 years. I don't have a problem with that. And it was my choice to walk out. But the experiences, the knowledge that you've had throughout your time in Liverpool, if you never wanted to yeah. to coach locally? Coach I quickly, quickly realised that all the things that you learn, what are they, I mean, how much of that can you actually use? So I went to, I went to uh, Swansea, and wanted to do all the Liverpool things there. Now, what we did at Liverpool was we did very little coaching, but a little bit of coaching we did, I introduced at Swansea. But in the second season, I then became my own man and I did my own thing, you know, which I thought was much more. Yes, all the things that we did at Liverpool was great because it was Ronnie Whelan or John Barnes or, you know, I didn't have them at Swansea, so I had to do something different. So, the only things I took with me from Ajax the pre-seasons how tough they were I've heard about these yeah, yeah. 7 o'clock in the morning yeah, yeah. up the mountain yeah 
I took that with me because I do believe in that mm -hmm. and people will find that amazing but I do believe get him fit and I had players I had players I want to see I can't believe how hard we trained because when you played I said yes I said but you're not very good I said, so the fit I can get you believe me the better you know Mm -hmm. So, but it's very old board. Can't, get, can't say fair than that. But when you get results, people believe in anything. Mm -hmm. So, so why was it the media after management? What turned you? Well, to I did that? the media while I was being a manager. European Championship, nineteen ninety six. Danish TV's got the rights. The tournament starts first game England Switzerland, and then on a Sunday, the boss rings me. I never ever spoke to him in my life, and he goes, "We're just doing the schedule for the European Championship in England." He said, "Would a man short?" I said, well, he said, well, with a man short, we need somebody to be in the studio for the Denmark Games and do some co-commentary. He said, are you up for it? So I went. So I was in the studio on the, uh, up in Sheffield where Denmark played and did a bit of co-com. And actually, I, I ended up doing a semi-final, England, Germany at Wembley. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, then they offered me, we only had the rights for tournaments and Denmark International. So there wasn't many games. So when I was a manager, I, I could do that as well. So I, I did that. So when I, when I resigned in 2004, there was never going to be anything other than that. But then I did the World Cup in 2006, and that was my last tournament for the TV station I worked with. And then I thought, I've done that. I've done 10 years, of, of and we didn't do many games. Uh, but then, lo and behold, I resigned from, from them. And then six months later, I got an offer from another TV channel that had the Champions League and the Premier League and whatever lot more games so that's what I do and I still do I'm right in saying you've got a sort of makeshift studio well I did for home. a while we, we we used to do sort of a match of the day uh, programme on a Sunday evening uh, and I was a guest for 25 minutes in my studio in the right, garage okay. so you're like Andy Townsend in your, uh, yeah, your tactics was, truck but actually I mean people had no idea people thought I was in the studio in Liverpool you know uh, we, they all came. Yeah, they all came, <laughs> the they all came over with all the equipment. Only you know, on the dartboard, thirty thousand pound cameras and all sorts of <laughs> lighting and whatever. You know, my wife used to do the makeup and all that. You know, what I mean, so so twenty five minutes every every Sunday night. So that worked well for for a while. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know Neil's got a few a uh, few sort of yeah. Just, fire questions I just wanted a, a couple of uh, light hearted questions, obviously, before talking maybe about your, your best eleven that, that you've you've played with. A few of the the quick questions I wanted to fire at you were. Aside from Anfield, what was the favourite ground to visit for you as a player? Anywhere in the world? Yeah, uh, I was... Uh, at the time, I think English grounds were were different to, 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 to grounds. Uh, What's that, because of the fans? Or? Yeah, I think... And also, back in the day, there was a lot of running tracks, wasn't there? In, mm. in, I mean, yeah, I only had experience of playing as national footballer in Holland. There was a lot of running tracks in Holland, you know. Even when we went and played in the Olympic Stadium... There was sort of a almost like a speedway sort of cycling uh, track around the pits in it. So, so the one stadium I enjoyed in Holland was the Kuip, which is fine art. Uh, yeah. You talk about rivalry, mm -hmm. I mean, this is on a yeah. different level, isn't I, it? I did the uh, I, I did the tour of um, the the current stadium, Ajax yeah, stadium, yeah. and every time they were mentioning something, they would always mention fine art yeah. and sort of. You know, almost spit type of thing. Yeah, you yeah, can tell that rivalry. It's, it's almost like a boring on a horrible. Yeah, uh, I think. Rivalry. I think. Am I right in saying Ajax? They don't recognise 1970, 1970 when Feyenoord won the European Cup. They won't. There's a gap in the in the the timeline of Ajax. They said that's Feyenoord. <laughs> Feyenoord won it that year, so we won't. So I have to be honest. In England, I I loved playing at Goodison Park and Ellen Road. 
didn't get to play it on the road many times because they wouldn't they didn't spend much time in the top flight. But I, I just loved going there because you know, it's 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 a one club city, isn't it? But and I think they've been out of top football for so long we almost forget what a big club and how passionate they are. But I love yeah. going there and I remember the the five four game, you know. Oh, yeah. We're 4-0 after inside twenty five minutes, yeah. Absolutely on cruise control in it. 4-2 at half-time, come out second half, let's put this away, Barnsley makes it 5-2. And then before you know it's 5-4, it's a bombardment, there's 20,000 people behind the goal going absolutely crazy, you know. And they did score the equaliser, which was disallowed. They probably shouldn't have disallowed, but, I, you know, I just thought that was amazing. And also the old Roker Park, I used to, I, I, I love, yeah, I used to like, they, they were, you know, real passing, you know. So aside from favourite ground, favourite pitch, Quality of pitch. Yeah, I mean, I always thought Anfield was a great pitch, and he was for the time, you know. Mm. But when you look back at videos from, from <laughs> yeah. when we played, what pitch? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no grass anywhere, and I thought, you know, this is green and grass. So you have to say that in those days, the best pitch was Highbury. But I thought Goodison ran them close. Goodison, I was a bit. Highbury always gave me the, the impression of it was like a high pitch, and it was hard. Goodison was a bit more of a soft pitch, you know, a bit low, and I, 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 I enjoyed playing at Goodison. What about your favourite moment for Liverpool yeah. since calling it a day, since your playing days were over? What game have you most enjoyed watching for Liverpool since then? Um, I think it's up to the current day. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. Uh, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to to work and to be at at, at some of the games, and you know, we had them them great games with with, with Chelsea uh, mm. in the Champions League, was four four. Been 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 round the but I always think it's the. It's the, you know, you don't expect it to be what it turns out to be. Uh, so when we played in, when we played against Olympiacos and I'd just come back after being a manager and I was sort of getting back into going to the games and whatever. And I have to be honest, when we went for that game against Olympiacos, I thought, Olympiacos can't win away from home. I think they've gone 18 games without winning away from home and we'll be too strong and this will be 5 or 6 nil. you know what I mean? And in the end, it turns out to be yeah. one of those unique nights because we didn't expect it, mm -hmm. you know. Well, that same season, where were you for the Istanbul famous? Well, actually, I'd been to a wedding in, in, in Barbados and organised 14 months before the final. People go, why are you going to a wedding in Barbados? I said, well, 14 months ago, would you have thought we got to a wedding? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's true, isn't it? So you were so, on the beach in Barbados? No, I wasn't, actually. We got back on a Monday. Okay. And you know where you're going? And the wife's going, no, go on then. Why don't you go? So I went, okay, yeah, I'll go. And then you start looking. You couldn't get there. Mm. By that time, it was physically impossible to get to, yeah. to, to Istanbul, you know. Mm. So I watched it in a local pub, uh, The Black Horse, and I didn't even realise, because just, at that time, it wasn't really a, a place where you watched football. I didn't realise, but, you know, it was, it was just one of them nights, three o'clock in the morning, finished up, no idea. Got home, and then at six o'clock, the phone went. And it was the equivalent of Radio 1 in Denmark. They said, we just can't get over this game last night. And we thought, who can we ring? We're ringing at Mulby at <laughs> six o'clock in the morning. Oh, we thought you were still up. Exactly. I've had a few drinks and I've had cigars to celebrate. And they said, what do you think? And then put the phone down. And the next thing, BBC Hereford and Worcester, because I used to be the manager kid, and was they wrong? We don't know who to speak to. We thought, we're ringing at Mulby. <laughs> what do you think? And it was just one of them days, you know. And at the time, I was still working for TV2 in Denmark. And they rung me and they said, listen, there's obviously going to be the, the open top uh, bus through Liverpool. And can, can you come over? We've got a news report in Liverpool. And... Can you, uh, can you go and meet and do a live? I said, when? You said in about an hour. I said, no chance. There's no way I can get from the Whittle to Liverpool in an hour. I said, it is absolutely random, you know. Mm. Uh, so. 
He didn't send the chopper for you, no? Didn't send the helicopter? No, no, yes. maybe I should have should have. <laughs> Do that now. Well, it was interesting, obviously, amazing career. Looking at the team that you picked as your best 11, if we go through it and then maybe you could pick out what, a few standout memories with certain players. Peter Schmeichel in goal. Peter Schmeichel... No, go on, Neil. You're right. You're right full-back, Phil Neil. Centre-halves, Alan Hansen. Morton Olsen. Olsen yeah. Left-back, Stevie Nicholl. Yeah. Left-wing, John Barnes. Right-wing, Michael Laudrup. Midfield to Frank Reichard, Johan Cruyff, and up front, Rushy and Van Basten. I mean, what, what, what a team. <laughs> Not a bad side. I've seen worse. Some of the... There's nothing wrong with that team, Neil, is there? That would win, what, every, every game? That would be the idea. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Schmeichel, whatever people think, it, but for six years, he was the best goalkeeper in the world. How many players achieve to be the best in the world? Mm. He did. Phil Neil, uh, when I played for, 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 for Ajax and, and in Denmark... There was never as much importance put on fullbacks as there was when I came to England. And Phil was an unbelievable server of the ball. Mm. Yeah? Serve balls into midfield, into frontmen. Unbelievable. Everything one touch, yeah. Fantastic one touch footballer. The two centre halves, I think, is almost ex- ex- explained. Uh, Quick and read the game. Yeah, think, exactly. Yeah. You know, intelligent, uh, you know. Former winger, Morton Olsen as well, a left winger. Yeah, good, good. You've done your homework there. Uh, Turn centre half. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, natural progression, isn't it? You I go remember from the tricky winger <laughs> back into the uh, into I the remember back. when we played Scotland in the nineteen eighty six World Cup and we obviously had that we knew them all, didn't we? Graham Sharp and Steve Nicholl and, and, and we ended up staying in the same hotel as the Jocks. And uh, after, after the game I said, So what was the plan when you were how, how do you what do you what what did the manager say about Denmark? And he said, The centre half too old, he's gone, he's finished. <laughs> and Morton Olsen was 38, that's, yeah. That's, we know but that manager is as well, don't we? He run rings around people. You know, and, and, and after the game, they all looked at the manager who told him, play on the on the sweeper, you know, he's gone. <laughs> and they all looked and he went, hmm, maybe I got that one wrong. And of course, Steve Nick will play anywhere. Mm. Absolutely play anywhere. Uh, and then the midfield is really interesting, isn't it? Uh, you said Barnsley was the best Liverpool player you played with. Yeah. And uh, I've... I've for him to come in 1987 and have the impact that he had. And I didn't think I knew John was a good player, mm-hmm. but I didn't think he would be a great Liverpool player because I thought his game was about something else. The thing I like, you said about, and I think it's, it's spot on, I'm sure Neil, Neil would uh, appreciate someone like this, but he didn't, cro- he didn't whip balls in for no, the no. sake of it. He, he, he picked people out he, with crosses he, almost. He found yeah. people. Mm. You know you go. You got you got that cross, Jason McAteer. You know that cross where you put it into an area and then you rely yeah. on your front man to get there. Yeah, that that's not yeah. how we work with Johnny. Yeah. You think of that eighty nine cup final? Oh no, that's not how we work with him. Yeah, he he found you with crosses. Yeah, ask John Aldridge. You know, absolutely incredible. So what? Why was he different to Laudrup? What was the difference in him on the right hand side? I think the biggest difference between the two of them, uh, obviously Michael Michael playing. Uh, in a different league, he plays in a different way. Uh, John played in a very rigid 4-4-2, work up and down. So what people remember about John in his first three years is his use of space, isn't it? You know, how he would receive the ball, dribble or knock the ball past full-backs, he was simply too quick, isn't it? And there was a lot of sort of very, almost like simple, but very effective football. And Michael was different in that. I thought that John needed space to play. It later transpired he didn't because when he became a centre midfield player. Mm-hmm. But Michael was a very clever manipulator of small spaces, you know. He would draw people yeah, in. Roll two, people or things like that. Draw two or three people in. Flick, dribble. 
and the game totally changes with a little flick and whatever business. So, and of course, he was part of. I always remember that dream team of Barcelona, where Michael would get the ball, do his little bit, go go in a little bit, and then flick it for Stoichkov. You know, would come on the outside, isn't it? And people go, people know what he was doing. I couldn't stop it. Mm. You know, but but two great players. Obviously, the two Dutchmen in the middle. I mean, you've talked about Frank, and obviously you talk about Johan. If you were going to the front two, two of the greatest in yeah, terms yeah, of no, pure absolutely. goal scorers. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's it's obviously unfair that people always ask you to try and compare. And you know, at, at Liverpool, apart from Rossi, of that side we had John Olwys and Robbie Fowler and whatever, isn't it? But Rossi was a very, he was a very clever footballer. Uh, he was very clever. Rossi playing today, I take his goals away, but Rossi playing in a team today that press, mm. yeah. That would be the one thing people go. So in them days, his pressing was unbelievable. But this thing coming back to this about wanting to play in space, you know, how many really goals? Behind. Yeah, do you see them goals against Everton when he scored four against Everton? Isn't yeah. it? Where where are they all in yeah. there? You know, and he invited that, didn't he? And then of course Marco Van Basten, who was just everything. I mean, six foot three. People don't remember him being. He was six foot three, yeah? and you think. He's going to be limited in that. He's going to be a certain type of a striker, isn't he? He had it all. Unbelievable ability. You know, controlling the ball, dribbling, making space for himself, volleying, shooting, heading, you know. Retired at 27, but never played beyond 26 because of injuries. I have no idea. In our day, you peaked at 28, 29. Today, you peak at 23, 24 because of the physical demands in it. But, so he never reached his peak, yeah. Marco van Basten. Mm. Yeah. And when he came into the Ajax team, Permanent. So in the first season... Was it 17, 18? Yeah, 17. So in the first season when I was there, he was still attending school. So in school holidays, he'd come and train with us. He'd sit on the bench in a few games and Cruyff... Cruyff doesn't get excited about many things, yeah? But he was just... Every day, Cruyff would go, this kid, he said, you're seeing something special. This kid is unbelievable, you know? Mm. So for us to sell the golden boot win in Europe and then rely on a 17-year-old kid, you go... What's wrong with these people? And you could rely on them as well. It wasn't It wasn't like he didn't deliver. Straight away. You know, you talk about somebody... Some 17-year-olds are ready to play, aren't they? And I'm not talking, just talking about ability. Not so many. Not many, is it? Mm. There's a lot of 17-year-olds who has the ability to play in the Premier League, but mentally they can't cope, can they? He played Ajax, Holland, within two minutes and belonged, you know? I can I bring up the game then... I, I, I think you've called it maybe one of your greatest games, the the Cruyff final coming to coming to Ajax. What a game that was! Uh, the excitement of having to play for all of us to play against Johan Cruyff, yeah? knowing we run a risk here, yeah, but we're going to play against Johan Cruyff. You know, you talk about them young Dutch kids, you know, Vandenberg and and, and all, even Koeman, he was the king, you know. Yeah. Now we've got to play against him, but he's with final, you know. And finally, they made, made a great start to the season. And then Olympic Stadium, and it's 60 or 1,000 people. You know, you just know it's going to be fireworks. We race into a 3 0 lead, yeah, playing football. For the time, you go, yeah. Then they get back in the game. And 3 2. Going a half time, we're winning 3 2. We shouldn't have been winning, they should have been well back in it. Come out the second half, and we know all hands to the pump. Take your responsibilities, look after them, yeah. Stay close to Cruyff, stay close to, to Rude Hullard, you know, make sure. Mm. Let's just survive. Long throw in, Frank, Frank Reichardt flicks it on. 4-2, pressure off. 
Alamo, bang, 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 bang. Man Baston, you know, yes, Bolts and Vandenberg. We win 8 2. Mm. We beat them 8 2 <laughs> in the Olympic Stadium of Amsterdam, you know. Yeah. They got their own back, you know, they won the, they won they won, the league. Yeah, they yeah. won the league. And we went to, to the Coyp later on in the season and lost 4 1, isn't it? But yeah, never forget that day. No, but but it, it was just so typical of Dutch football, wasn't it? You know, 8 2. These are the teams that finished first and second, and it was 8 2. Mm. What's that all about? Well, it was Dutch football, wasn't it? Yeah. Dutch football at his best, or maybe Dutch football at his worst, I don't know. But he was Dutch football. <laughs> it was the only way they knew how to play. Can I ask anyone who's unlucky not to get in that? Oh, there's be on plenty the bench, of, you can say you have three subs on there. There's, but there's, there's, there's plenty of people who are, who are unlucky uh, not to get in. Obviously, Kenny would be Kenny would be the one mm. who springs to mind. You go back to my favourite Danish player, Frank Arneson, which you will know in this country yeah, from the spell yeah. at yeah. Tottenham. And yeah, yeah. What a player he was. Wrecked by a knee injury in the early eighties, but still carried on playing. The player was he so explosive, number eight, so explosive. Receive the ball, stand still, gone. Great player, Ronald Koeman. Yeah. I have to say that Koeman is mm-hmm. is uh, uh, really really hard to to to, to leave him out. Uh, Robbie Fowler is another one, isn't he? You think you know with 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 that ability? Finishing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So there's plenty of people on. Un- Unlucky, uh, not, not not to make it. Yeah, oh, but it's hard for people. To, yeah, it's hard for people to go. Really, you know, there isn't really a lot of people were Phil Neal. I said, yeah, Phil Neal. Don't estimate, don't estimate yeah. Phil Neal. Phil Neal was a great player, and his record stands up to anyone. I think there's not many people you'd want an all-time eleven off. Yeah. But looking at that team with Jan, I know it makes sense. I know. I mean, to talk about. I mean, we're talking about one, two, three, four, four five, five Liverpool players. Yeah. Sorry. You might have thought you'd have been, it'd have been eleven with the, the success. Well, I think I think when, when I went on the Sky Sport program, I think they kind of went, "This is going to be your best eleven, Liverpool." I said, "Well, I was fortunate enough to play with other players who could play." Yes. Well. <laughs> Just you know. a few. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You might have heard of them. You yeah, no, absolutely. You wore them before. Theme. I mean, even Bruce Grabbler. You know, Bruce Grabbler was a great goalkeeper. Make no mistake, and Bruce Grabbler was great because you knew what he was going to do, so you knew he yeah. was reckless. Yeah, but but he helped you in a way. Anything that's over the top when you're playing centre half, you know he's going to come out. Whether he's going to get there or not, any crosses that come in the box, he's going to attempt to try and catch them. No punch and catch everything. But at least you knew, you know. Yeah. He didn't help you in the streets, though, did he? On Sunday, that Sunday night. Yeah. Well, he, when <laughs> I needed him, go for a pint with when him. I needed him, he wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, we could. I'm sure we could talk for another hour. To yeah, be fair, it's, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. But I uh, just want to say thank you very much for giving up your time today, and uh, hopefully. Hopefully, see you again soon. No, absolutely, and uh, I'll be listening. I hope you do a good job, boys. Thanks very much.